Welcome to the 18th episode of the Think Wildlife podcast. Today we have Harry Wright, CEO of the Bright Tide. Welcome, Harry. Yes, thank you very much. It's a, it's a pleasure to be with you. Um, my name's Harry Wright. I'm the CEO and founder of Bright Tide. We are a UK-based organisation working to help the private sector transition to a more sustainable and nature-positive future. What are some of the work you do at the Bright Tide? Yeah, so what we do at Brightside really is we work with um, we work with companies mainly in the kind of legal financial industry, you know, professional services uh, sector, and we run uh, annual programs. So we do things like accelerator programs where companies get to um, learn about new uh, startups, new technology, new um, natural capital projects uh, coming through. So it could be anywhere from sort of green blue economy. Um, seaweed farmers, for example, food regenerative farming, uh, looking at nature-based solutions. So we run accelerator programs. We also do um, consultancy work, advisory work, and uh, educational uh, kind of workshops and, and talks as well. You mentioned your Blue Economy Accelerator. Why is the Blue Economy so critical uh, as we head towards net zero? Yeah, really good question. So when I was at COP last year in October in Glasgow, um, one of the things I saw, which is really exciting, is this huge push for restoration. So a lot of tree planting, a lot of looking at things like peatlands, for example. But where I saw that we needed much more support and much more, um, we needed to accelerate the solutions was around the blue economy. So the blue economy covers really any kind of sustainable development economic activity regarding the oceans. So it covers things like aquaculture, so seaweed and kelp and oyster farming, for example, looking at sustainable fisheries, um, offshore wind, renewable energy, and looking at things like shipping. And the reason why I'm trying to push uh, economic development, sustainable economic development opportunities in the blue economy is that because the, the ocean is one of our greatest allies in the fight against climate change. It covers 80% of the world. It sequesters 25% of our CO2 emissions, and it's fundamental to our global economy. 90% of all trade goes through our oceans, and it has a net asset value of around 23 trillion. So it's hugely important. But within these different interesting industry areas like seaweed and kelp farming and many others, a lot of these um, new industry areas have both a economic um, positive output a climate positive output as well and also um, biodiversity and communities so it really is the, the kind of model of the SDGs uh, around the oceans so we we set the blue economy program up in March this year with the aim of helping up to around 17 startups go through a program um, where they get advice and support on a number of different issues with the aim really of letting them become investment ready and um becoming much more scalable and the whole thing has just been amazing it's opened my eyes to so many really interesting possibilities i'm fascinated with seaweed and kelp um sea urchins for example i mean there is so much opportunity to to help the transition um to help with food security to help with climate to help create jobs uh and also to 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 help us get to a more sustainable future so yeah i'm really passionate about the oceans and and also the services which they can provide to us do you plan on expanding uh, your blue economy accelerator program beyond the UK and the EU? Yeah, definitely. So the next thing we're actually looking at is around um, the term principle of blue carbon. 
So looking at marine ecosystems, for example, like mangroves and salt marshes and seagrass and helping projects all around the world become investment ready for blue carbon potential. So one of the problems here is that we've got big demand from corporates and, and the private sector looking to uh, offset their emissions ethically and into projects which, you know, provide uh, good carbon credits. You know, they are less risk averse, but also have those biodiversity and community benefits as well. So our, our focus on our next program is kind of extending the blue economy into the blue carbon market as well. And that'll be an international um, international footprint looking at sort of small island states like Fiji, for example, all the way to Southeast Asia. And, and India has a, some really interesting work going on. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to be looking globally on, on that project. What do you think is going to be a role of businesses and co- corporations around the world in uh, achieving the net zero goal? So the role of business is more critical than ever. And I, I say that because governments at the moment are continuing to let all of us down. You know, they're not... Um, they're not looking at their commitments. They are not uh, achieving those commitments and they're not delivering the outcomes that we need to get to 1.5 degrees and also to to reduce biodiversity loss. So business has never been um, in a better role to really come into that vacuum and, you know, find leadership and help us deliver those solutions that we need. More importantly, there is more work being done and never more awareness that the importance that biodiversity and climate has to business as a whole the risks of business not taking these issues seriously are significant and that is part of what we do is around educating business on the risks of not doing anything about climate change and not doing anything about biodiversity because they are intrinsically linked to the success of a successful global economy and a business as well so we've done a lot of work on education and then also looking at the opportunities in these new markets uh, coming up how they can fit, you know, how they can revolutionize their supply chains to more sustainable supply chains, how important it is for business now to be actually taking action and delivering on their net zero commitments, both from a reputational perspective, from a litigation perspective, uh, and also from a commercial perspective. So business is really starting to understand this and we're working with them to accelerate the, the, the way to net zero and to a more nature positive future. Across your programs and in your career, so which startup did you find the most interesting in terms of their work towards restoration and net zero? Yeah, well, that's a really good question. There's so many exciting ones. I can talk through a few on the program at the moment. So there's a, this amazing business called Urchinomics, which is doing great work where they reduce overgrazing and over over um, barren sea urchins. So sea urchins actually can destroy entire marine ecosystems. So there will be nothing left. So what urchinomics do is they remove these sea urchins. They um, have a, a really good market uh, for sustainable um, seafood. And once they've removed these sea urchins, they then re- restore and regenerate kelps, uh, kelp forests. And then all the biodiversity that was lost can then come back and they protect those kelp forests. So that's just one example. There's, there's so much work going in on um, seaweed as well. Seaweed can be used in so many different industries from uh, bioplastics to biorefinery to um, biostimulants uh, to looking at animal feed, for example. We can eat seaweed. It's really healthy for you. So there's great businesses like Flexi, for example, which is looking at uh, bioplastics. Um, Kelp Blue, which is leading on so much of the work around uh, biostimulants. 
Um, there's a great seaweed farm here in, in England we work with called uh, Biomalgae, which is the biggest seaweed farm in the UK. And there's also other really cool businesses like Sea Ranger Service, for example. And what they're doing is they're training young people to become sea rangers. So they're training them up in maritime skills and uh, working with governments to do offshore work. Uh, but also they're looking to restore millions of hectares of seagrass by 2040. So all of these new uh, ingenuity, um, there's a great business called Arc Marine, which is building uh, recyclable and sustainable coral blocks, uh, big, uh, replacing uh, unsustainable concrete blocks, for example, in offshore development and bringing back biodiversity there as well. So if you have a look on our website under Blue Economy, you can have a look at these incredible businesses, which we, we desperately need to help accelerate these solutions to, to really get to a better place. One more initiative you take at, at Bright Bright are your hackathons. So right. uh, could you just talk about your hackathons and how tech can really help solve some conservation issues? Yeah, definitely. So as well as helping, um, you know, uh, startups, we're really um, passionate about how any individual from around the world can uh, come up with ideas and can come up with solutions that can help conservation and can help uh, the environment. So we've run a number of different hackathons and challenges over the last year, looking at solutions to helping reduce tiger poaching in India, for example, to looking at new um, algorithms and new tech solutions to reduce illegal wildlife trade online, to looking at tech solutions to reduce human wildlife conflict in places like the Western Ghats uh, in India, and also looking at new tech solutions to help uh, monitor shark populations uh, in, in the UK. So what the way the hackathon works is that it's a, it's a kind of two-day event where people from around the world will come together. You'll, go, uh, you'll be placed into an international team, so people you've never met before, but very like-minded individuals. You'll then work on a, on a challenge, which you'll apply for. And then over those two days, you will submit a solution to that challenge. And then the aim is that we take those ideas um, forward to try and find a home for those ideas if they're kind of scalable and if we can find funding to develop it. So that's what we've done. We've done about five, I think, over the last year and a half, uh, with around 3,000 people. You know, it's been it's been fantastic. And the the only downside to the hackathon model is, you know, what do you do with these solutions once people have developed them? And that's kind of the, the gap where we're looking at how we can better um better advance the hackathon model what have been some of the most unique solutions you've come across those hackathons so we did a really cool one um on blue sharks for example so um that was a kind of sprint so people had only about an hour and a half to come up with new tech solutions to help monitor sharks so some great ideas from uh underwater algorithms so you can uh take a computer image of the shark's face and use an algorithm to identify it to looking at things like drone monitoring, for example, um, creating a cryptocurrency for sharks because sharks can store huge amounts of carbon. That was called FinCredit. We really like that idea. And, you know, there's got to be some some way we can do something with that. We had a whole range of really cool um, solutions from Tigerphone, which is a Tiger Hackathon. One was called Tigerbot, which was a kind of data scraper, which would scrape data relating to illegal wildlife trades um, for tiger parts online. And we're currently trying to develop that out through the data for wildlife challenge. We did, we had a whole bunch of new data sets, which were social media posts uh, of people selling illegal wildlife trade products from parrots to uh, cheetah cubs and many other different things. 
and we've, we've got some really good data and a lot of work's been done now to develop those. On the, what was interesting on our recent Western Ghats challenge in India was that we had a number of solutions around um, creating a, an elephant app uh, to help reduce wildlife conflict with communities in the Western Ghats and, and uh, with elephants, creating like a, a warning system for communities and a, um, which will give them much more information so they can reduce human wildlife conflict. And we, there's so many, uh, I, I, you know, there, there, we have a whole bunch of them. Um, and the, 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 the challenge we have now is, you know, what do we do with all of these solutions? Moving on to a more personal level, you, you were a lawyer before you joined the conservation sector. So what, Correct. what made you transition from being a lawyer to enter conservation and climate change sector? Yeah, so I've always been, first of all, I'm, I'm passionate about conservation, always have been. And when I went into law, I actually worked a little bit in climate change law um, for a year. And then I went more into mainstream sort of corporate law and working with some of the big law firms. But it, I soon realised that working, you know, three or four in the morning every day on uh, mergers and acquisitions really wasn't what I wanted to do the rest of my life. Um, I'm very passionate about trying to help find solutions to the biodiversity and climate crisis that we have and what i found that when i was working in you know the private sector big law firms and working with clients in many different industries was that there were also a lot of people like me a lot of people like you out there who who really care about these issues and want to be part of the solution as well and then i also saw how efficient the private sector is at solving problems that they have for their clients and for many other issues so the the kind of stimulus behind setting up Brighttide was to try and uh, capulate, uh, in, to try and um, draw upon the 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 efficiency, the resources, and the expertise of the private sector, and to try and um, utilize all of that to fast, you know, accelerate the solutions that we need in the conservation and biodiversity world. Because I've always thought that we haven't been able to really connect those two worlds together. You know, the NGA world is, is very much is doing some fabulous work, but there's they require a lot of funding, a lot of resources to help. You know, we need to get stakeholders engaged. We need to do so much. And the private sector hasn't really engaged as much as they could to helping, you know, um, forward a lot of the conservation work. So through Brightside, we we can really bring those two worlds together and we can utilize the, the private sector to help forward, fast forward a lot of the, the work that needs to be done. So what were some challenges you faced while making this transition and setting up right there? Well, it's, it's when you're in a career like law, for example, it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a great career to be in. It's provides you with a good, um, a good career, you know, and the, there are lots of opportunities to, you know, move forward with that career. So I think for anybody who is in a, in a safe career and, you know, you have bills to pay, you have family to provide for, it's really quite daunting leaving all of that behind and jumping into the setting up a business or setting up a startup, especially during a global pandemic and, uh, you know, economic insecurity that we have at the moment. So it was, I had to be quite bold, I had to be quite courageous to, um, to leave behind a, a career, a good career in law to actually set up my company. But really it's what I've always wanted to do. And I knew that there was an opportunity here to, to set up a company like Bright Tide and to to really follow my passion and to um, try and help as much as I can. So I think for anyone out there who is in a career they you know don't really like or in a career where they they're not finding purpose, if you can and if you're in a position of um, where you think you can do so, 
please do try and follow your dreams and try and follow what you want to do because we don't get much opportunities to to do that in life and um i think you probably regret it in future time if you never if you never did that so yeah it was kind of a out of passion maybe stupidity uh to be quite brave so that's the reason why i set it up that was great and talking about young people who are deciding to make this career shift in the conservation what would be your advice for them particularly with skills yeah uh, so i see young people as the as the future change makers i think um as a young person now coming into um a world where climate change is impacting already horrendously across the world and we're seeing the impacts firsthand we're seeing biodiversity dropping at an accelerating rate there has never been a more important time for young people with skill sets in many different industries to come into the the let's call it the, the conservation world and to use their skill sets to help you know work towards a more sustainable future so companies now they're desperately looking for people who have you know highly skilled who are interested in sustainability and there are a lot of job opportunities out there to join companies good companies um where you can work and have a really good career in sustainability and have all the benefits of the private sector but also know you're working towards a really good cause i think entrepreneurship is a really cool route i'm really passionate about young people coming out with new business ideas you know helping them get funding um becoming you know their own bosses and their own future leaders there are lots of really cool ngos that are doing great work in this space um so the opportunities are out there i guess also never underestimate the importance and i know you've done a lot of this and issues around getting work experience and getting as much um experience as you can on your cv um before applying for roles because it is competitive but if you can if you can prove on your cv that you've gone to maybe you know four or five different organizations you've worked on many different uh, projects and you've you've demonstrated lots of different skill sets that shows commitment that shows uh, enthusiasm and it shows you're dedicated and i think that is also really important is never underestimate the importance of work experience on your cv to getting a job and getting to where you want to be you know it's a it's a long term picture it's not just a short term picture um so that that's the advice i would give that is very well answered and that is my final question for the day so thank you so much for your time thank you very much and a pleasure to be with you